7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert, convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God. Well, let me begin by, <coughs> excuse me, giving a, a big hand to all those who were here yesterday that helped us do our spring cleaning at the church. I have to tell you, at the end of the day, I was a happy pastor. We finally got rid of some junk. Everybody's looking at me. We have more rooms now. But God is good, and it was great to have fellowship with those who were here. A thank you to some of our Ethiopian families that came and others that came. It was just kind of really good to have that fellowship time together, and uh, I enjoyed it, especially the Kentucky Fried Chicken. And we ordered it specifically for one person. And he left at dinner time but then came back again. But we did have a wonderful time. I recall a young man many years ago. It was in a church in Regina, Saskatchewan. And this young man was, was a believer, fairly new, young believer. And he was always at church Whenever they would have things to do, he would be there. He would set up chairs before church services. He'd take them down after church services. He would find ways that he could participate, even though he, did not, he knew very little about what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And I recall our pastor going up to that young man one day and saying to him, my friend, I don't know you really well because you're fairly new to our church, but this I do know, that God is going to use you in ways that you probably least expect it. That young man was me. I didn't know much about being a Christian I didn't know much about being a disciple. But those words, when they were shared to me, changed my life. 
And so I said, okay. I have no idea what that means. But I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I thought it was to be a missionary. I thought, wow, cool. We had a lot of missionaries in our church, and they were always had nice, exciting stories, and I thought, wow, that's what I want to do. And so I talked to my pastor after he'd shared that with me, and he got so tired of me asking him questions. He said, Gary, why don't you go to Bible college? You'll get all the answers you want there and more. And I thought, okay, where do you find those things? Well, we have one here in Regina, CBC. I said, the radio station has a Bible college? That's how much I knew. He said, no, no, Canadian Bible college. Well, I went down there within a week of that time. I think I'd only been a believer no, mo- no longer than six months. And I went down to the Bible college and met the registrar, whose name happened to be Gordon Dirks. For those of us in Alberta, we understand Gordon Dirks is a politician. Well, he was the registrar at Bible college in those days. And I went in, and I only have grade seven education. And so I went in there and said, I'm sorry, grade nine education. No? Eight and a half? Somewhere around there. Anyway, I went to the Bible college, and I I said, how do you get into this place? And he talked with me. He was very gracious. And he said, well, what would you like to be? I said, a missionary. And he said, how old are you again? I said, well, I'm 35. And he said, I don't think that'll work. He said, because it probably takes us about 20 years to prepare somebody to be a missionary. And by that time, you'll be 55. I said, okay, then what can I be? Then he gave me a whole list of things. And he said, you could be a preacher. I said, sure, that's good. Long story short, here I am today at 75 years old. And I felt the call of God on my life way back then. And I didn't immediately become a preacher. I worked with church. I did a lot of things. I want to speak to us today. Actually, I want to carry on with a topic I began last year at this time, Pentecost. Last year, I spoke about being a people of the Pentecost. Not Pentecostals. You see, Pentecostals are just like Baptists. It's just another denomination with a few different beliefs than what we have. But the whole church of Jesus Christ should be people of the Pentecost. And so I use that simple story in the book of Acts because if we really want to understand what it means to be a person of the Pentecost and to be a church of the Pentecost, which is my topic today, is we need to recognize that the book of Acts is where we find answers to that question. It's the book of Acts which was the first church. It was the first church that ever existed in Christendom. The people of Acts were called people of the way. They were people who had chosen to follow this Messiah that they were hearing about. And so we need to pick up the story, though. Actually, there are three events in Christian history that are very meaningful to all of us. The first one is 
the birth of Christ. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Christ. The second one is the death and resurrection of Christ. We celebrate his death because we know that he died on our behalf, that we might have life eternal by our faith in him. Not by what we do, not by what we say, but by our belief in Jesus. We have eternal life. And the third great event in the church of the way, or the people of the way, is Pentecost. And Baptist churches don't often pay a lot of attention to Pentecost. We kind of leave that up to the Pentecostals. But that's so wrong. Because the church church of Jesus Christ is a church of the Pentecost. And we have the power of the resurrection in Christ, which sets us free from sin and death and gives us eternal life, but it's Pentecost that gives us the power to be a believer. Pentecost is the moment that God sent the third person of the Trinity into his church for the purpose of empowering them to be what he wanted them to be. And so the book of Acts gives us that demonstration. Last year I spoke about being a person of the Pentecost, and I said from Acts chapter 3, we find four simple principles that identify Christians as a Christian of the Pentecost. We know the story was the crippled man at the gate beautiful. He had been there since birth. been there his whole life. Peter and John, who are the two characters of this Acts chapter 3, had gone to that temple many, many times with Jesus. Jesus had preached there. And they had walked right through that beautiful gate many times but never recognized or saw this man with any significance of importance. But then Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit came into the church. And who is the church? The church is you and I. So the Holy Spirit came into you and I. He came into Peter and John, and all of a sudden from Acts chapter 3, we see this. A person of the Pentecosts sees his world through the eyes of God. Not through his own eyes. Peter and John had gone by this cripple many times, but now that they're filled with the power of Pentecost, they see this cripple for the first time. But they had gone by him many times. That's much like our lives. We don't look for God in our ordinary circumstances. We always try to find him out there some supernatural way. But God, if we're a person of the Pentecost, begins to see our immediate world through the eyes of Jesus. Secondly, people of the Pentecost are filled with anticipation and expectation. Peter and John and this cripple when Peter reached his hand down, this cripple looked up expecting something. When that hand was reached out, he was expecting something. But and further to that, Peter anticipated he now had the ability to offer something 
special. People of the Pentecost are an expectant and anticipated people. People of the Pentecost are distributors of joy. I don't know about you, but I love being a Christian. I even love getting beat up sometimes. Doesn't happen very often. Almost every day. But I love being a follower of Jesus. I love being a follower of Jesus. I am far from perfect. And many of my leaders who work with me say, Amen, brother. Amen. And you know they're right. Because I am a disciple in the making. I have not perfected what God wants me to perfect. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I strive, but I have not reached it. And so, yes, I see lots of flaws in me, but one thing I do hope, that I always present joy to people. That I'm always joyful around people. Because Jesus is my joy. He is my joy. And so I want to be joyful for him. And finally, people of the Pentecost are persons who have a passion for the lost. People who have a passion for the marginalized people around them. That's what we saw with Peter and John. They saw this cripple, a marginalized person. And all of a sudden, they began to see. Do you know something, my friends? That we live in a part of Calgary that has more marginalized people than any other division of Calgary. A friend of mine who, is, who I've been speaking about doing a ministry for us, she did, a, she, she did research on our community, Thornhill, Greenview, Huntington Hills. We have more single-family parents than any other place in Calgary. We have more people who live below the poverty line than any other place in Calgary. We have more ethnic peoples coming into our community than any other community. You want to know where our mission field is? That's it. But we need to be a person of the Pentecost because we need to realize that Jesus has come here to rescue the marginalized people. He's not just here to recognize us Anglo-Saxon white people. He is here to rescue everyone, the marginalized, the rich, and the poor. And the people of the Pentecost have a passion for that. But let me move on now to becoming a church of the Pentecost. That's what a person of the Pentecost is. But what about a church of the Pentecost? So we read Acts chapter 6. Again, the very beginning of the early church. And we need to look at the story within the story. Sometimes when we read scripture, we get hung up on what we think is the main theme, and we miss some of the other things that are in the story that are vitally important for that main thing to have happened. And so we look this morning at what it means to be a church of the Pentecost, not a Pentecostal church. People. 
As a matter of fact, maybe some of my folks saying, yeah, but maybe too comfortable, Pastor. I've said that I have this new nickname that I'm going to take with me. I'm a Baptocostal. But a church of the Pentecost, first and foremost, is a church that anticipates growth. A church of the Pentecost is a church that anticipates growth. They're not satisfied with where they are. They anticipate that God is going to do something in their midst that they may not even have a picture up, but they anticipate it. My question to us, what kind of anticipation do we have about God working in our midst? Do we actually anticipate him to do something big? Do we anticipate that he will cause our church to grow? So let me talk about growth. Oh, pastor, are you talking about numbers now? That you're expecting that we're going to become this great new megachurch? If God wants it, I don't think he's given us the right size building for that, quite frankly. I don't think he's given us the right size property for that. So numerical growth, yes, does happen, but, but it's not the only growth. A church of the Pentecost anticipates numerical growth, but it also anticipates discipleship growth. A church of the Pentecost anticipates that by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives, we will begin to grow to become what God wants us to become. Well, that was pretty weak. A church of the Pentecost anticipates growth, anticipates discipleship growth, anticipates numerical growth. We have been saying as our leaders for some time now that we're, I almost feel like anything's going to bust loose soon. There's this sense about us that excites me. Unfortunately, I will probably be the Moses of the event, and someone will be the Joshua. And you know something? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. All I want to do is find the Joshua and that let God bust forth. And I might have to stay on this side of the river, but that's okay because I can still see across the river and see what God is doing. A church of the Pentecost is a church that anticipates growth, spiritual and numerical. Secondly, a church of the Pentecost prepares for growth. A church of the Pentecost prepares for growth. Notice the story. They were growing. It says the disciples were growing in large numbers very rapidly. The disciples there means people were growing. People were coming to Christ. The church was growing. Everyone in the church in the book of Acts was a disciple of Christ. Do you know that every believer in this church is a disciple of Christ? You're as important to him as Peter and John and all the other disciples are. 
And it says in the book of Acts chapter 6 that the disciples were growing in large numbers. And the growth was creating some problems. Jews not getting their fair share of food. Well, if a lot of people will say, well, there's the story. But that's not the story within the story. What was happening is that people were being left out. And all of a sudden, the leaders recognized that one of the ways they needed to prepare for the growth that God had planned for them, do you think they understood how many people would be Jesus at the end of Acts and Acts chapter 6? They anticipated the church was going to be good. They anticipated the church was going to grow in miraculous numbers. It hadn't done that yet, but they began to prepare for it. They began to prepare for it, and a church of the Pentecost is a church that begins to prepare for growth. I remember showing a video here a number of, well, I don't know, I'm so old, it could have been years ago, but it wasn't. And it was a video called Preparing for the Rain. Preparing for the Rain. This coach of a football team was doing things, and people were saying, why are you doing that? He'd say, I'm preparing for the rain. A church of the Pentecost prepares for growth. If you're really anticipating growth, if you're really anticipating that God has planned for us to grow spiritually and numerically, we better be prepared for it. We better be prepared for it. What does that mean for us? It simply means this, that a church in the Pentecost is a collective body of believers working together to accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. It's a body of believers who join together to help us become what God wants us to become. What do I mean by that? Well, so often in the modern day church, church people expect the staff to do everything. They actually expect us to be miracle workers. And we should be able to do everything. The reality is that is a recipe for failure of growth. That is a recipe to fail at growth. What is the recipe to succeed? It means we all do it together. We all do it together. Choose from yourself those who will join the team, those lay people who will join the pastors to get the job done. I'm going to be honest with you now. Because I'm so old, and because I don't have to worry about where my next job comes from, that is our greatest Achilles heel right now in our church, is the involvement of sufficient lay people to assist the staff to help this church become what God wants this church to become. We cannot do it alone. 
I anticipate growth in this church. I'm expecting God to do marvelous things in this church, not because of me, not because of Maria, not because of Tina, or not because of our associate pastor, because I believe the Holy Spirit will collectively bring up people to cause the church to become what the church should be. You believe that? Really? Really? How many believe that? Well, I see a few hands kind of trying to sneak up there. But let me tell you, my friends, if you believe that, we are at a time in our season as a church when our elder chair and our elders are going to start tapping some of you on the shoulder. Because they believe, as I do, that God has got something very special planned for us to grow, but we cannot do it alone. We cannot do it without people stepping up to the plate and participating. You say, but look at the qualifications. Look at the qualifications. I say humbug. I say humbug. Because if you're looking at the qualifications for me to be your pastor, you better turn around and walk out that door. Because I'm striving to get there, but I'm nowhere near it. When I look at myself in the mirror, I see a sinful person. I see a person that is failing many ways his Savior. But kind of standing over my shoulder is the insurance that Jesus is saying, I got your back. I got your back. You see, friends, this one thing I know of the modern-day church. The devil get, will get us so focused on our circumstances, we forget our position. He'll get us so focused on our circumstances, we forget our position. And our position is to be what? A disciple of Jesus, saved by his grace, destined for eternity with him. I don't know about you, but that draws me to always want to be working for Jesus. Not because it's going to get me anything, because I already have it. I already have it. I know my position. And so a church of the Pentecost is a church that anticipates and prepares for growth. Finally, a church of the Pentecost places a priority on relationships. A church of the Pentecost places priority on relationships. If we really look at our story, we see relationship all through the passage of Scripture. All through the passage, the key underlining foundation is relationship, relationship, relationship. The Church of the Pentecost cares about relationships. When I look out sometimes, I'm not sure we get that picture really clear. If there's anything I've learned over my past years in ministry is this. The key to the front door of the church is love. Amen. The key to the front door of the church is love. 
and we're good at that. I got to tell you, when I visit people or phone people who have come here for the first or second time, I get this same expression every time. Boy, do I feel loved when I went there. And it makes my heart joyful. But then four or five weeks to months, all of a sudden those people that were so deeply loved have got one step in the church and one step out of the church. Because you see, the key to the entrance of the church is love. The key to the back door of the church is lack of relationship. If we don't love them by becoming involved in their lives, we really don't love them. A church of the Pentecost is a church that values relationships and is prepared to build those relationships. I find that difficult. Most people say, you, pastor? We all have our comfort zones. We all have those we're comfortable with. We, we, we like that. I like anybody who is voting for Vegas to win the Stanley Cup is on my side because they're an underdog. But you know something? God has been enriching my life by those I'm building relationships with who are people I probably would never have built them with before. Our church is growing ever so slowly, but you know what it's growing with? It's growing with the demographics of our community. The people who are growing with us and coming to our church are marginalized people. They're people who live below the poverty line. They're people from different ethnic groups. A church of the Pentecost builds relationships with those people, not just with their own kind. But we reach out in relationship because relationship is where it's at. An example, yesterday. I don't know if Mark's here with me or he's gone somewhere with the young people. We were outside doing some cleaning there was a crew outside, and there was a bunch of folks inside doing things. And across the street, barrage of verbiage. Oh, you Christians, I see you guys every day. I see that church every day. And he's inebriated. And he's just being him. An amazing thing happened that taught me about what it means to be a church of the Pentecost was a person of the Pentecost called Mark Laser. He dropped what he was doing. He walked across the street to this man that was kind of making fun of us, and he went up to his balcony, and he said, can you come to church with me tomorrow? And they sprung up a conversation. But what struck me was what this gentleman said to Mark. He said, oh, I came to your church once. And Mark said, oh, yeah? He said, yeah, they didn't let me in. 
And Mark said, well, maybe it's because you are wearing a satanic pentagram t-shirt. That would really frighten our people because he had it on yesterday too. And when they, when they came out and Mark said, this is our pastor, and he said, rip that sweater off. But you know something? What God was showing me is that we are here to build relationships with those kinds of people. We're here to build relationships with those kinds of people. We're not to be afraid of them. We're not to fear them. We're to love them and say, you're welcome to come to our church. Wear your T-shirt, because I've read the end of the book, and you lose. You see, a church of the Pentecost is a church that wants to build relationships not only with our own kind, but with the marginalized, with the ethnic people, people that are strange to us, because they're not strange to Jesus. They're not strange to Jesus. I wear a bracelet that I had made. You won't be able to see it much of where it is. It's white, black, and brown. And I had it made this way because that's what I believe the church is. White, black, and brown. And see how it's intertwined. We are to be like this bracelet. We are to be intertwined with the ethnic, the marginalized, the poor, the single moms. Because Jesus loves them. And Jesus died for them. That's what a church of the Pentecost is. But I'm afraid that we fail to do it again because I reiterate, we focus on our circumstances and not on our position. You know that your position is to win people to Jesus. You are empowered to do it. You are gifted to do it. You have all the tools to do it. The question is, why don't we do it? I don't know. But I think if we're going to be a church of the Pentecost, we need to learn. So I say to you just before I close, I say to you on behalf of Maria and myself and whomever the associate pastor would be, we need you. We need you. And some of you are afraid to say, no, I don't want to get into that leadership role. I'm not qualified. If that's what you really believe, then kick me out of here because I am not qualified to be who I am. I am qualified through Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't stand here on my good merits, but I can stand here on my position in Jesus. And so if people tap you on the shoulder, I pray that you just don't ignore it right away. But take some time to pray about it. And understand that if we are going to grow and anticipate the growth, we need to come together, laity and pastors. Or we won't make it. We will not make it. I conclude. A student, college student, got a, 
a scholarship to a prominent university in the United States. He was from a small town in rural America. He went off to college with very little money in his pocket, but he had a scholarship. And so his diet every day was crackers and cheese. Breakfast, dinner, supper. Every day, that's all he could afford. And so finally, after a number of months of crackers and cheese, he decided, looked at his handful of change, and he said, I'm going to go to the cafeteria and at least have one good meal. So off he went to the university cafeteria, and it was a smorgasbord, and he piled her up. I mean, he was so sick of crackers and cheese, he took everything. He didn't know whether he would like it or whether he'd dislike it. He just piled it up. He went to the cashier, and he took his change and a few dollar bills he had and said, how much will this be? And she said, can I see your student card? So he handed over her stu his student card, and to his amazement, she said, it was free. He said, what do you mean it's free? Well, you see, in your scholarship plan, all your meals were paid for. He had been living on cheese and crackers when he could have been at the banquet every single day. And I'm afraid that perhaps sometimes we're spiritually living on cheese and crackers when there's a banquet in Christ that is ours. We just have to go. I am looking forward to an associate pastor. I really am. Because I know whoever God brings, you are going to be blessed. And I'm going to get to have more time with my wife. But you know something? I would not rather, I would rather, I would not be disappointed. I wouldn't want to do anything else in my life than what I do now. To love Jesus, to care and build relationships with people, and understand my position in Christ. As we go to the table, let's take just a quiet moment for you to kind of spend a moment, spend a moment, every one of you, I don't care what age you are, I don't care what ethnic group you come from, I don't care whether you're a senior or a teenager or those of us who are holding at 29, I want you to ask one thing this morning in your prayer. Lord, what can I do? What can I do to be part of the team that you're calling to prepare for growth? Just take that moment all by yourself. Don't worry, I'm not going to call anybody forward even though I have a tendency to do that from time to time. But as we prepare, 
just take those few moments. The worship team will join us as we get ready for the Lord's table.